welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. And subscribe, and please write and review the show. I'm your host, William Blue. I'm joined by my co-hosts uh, on this lovely Monday morning is uh, Blake Murphy and uh, Alex Wong. You know who went from full-time to game-time? The Raptors last night. Because after halftime, the God. Raptors went from scoring 35 points in the first half to finishing... With 123 as they uh, defeated the San Antonio Spurs in overtime. Best win of the season so far? Nah. No? Oh, okay. I mean, they stomp, I- I they stomped the Bucs and made the mm. Bucs completely ah. change their defense. Like, the Bucs had a, not a players-only meeting, but a, hey, coach, we all need to talk <laughs> meeting because the Raptors put up an average offensive night against them. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. A- average offensive night <laughs> yeah. to the Raptors? We got to retool everything. Uh, and yeah, uh, so I, I think that one's still going to stand out. Okay. This one was fun. But the, the argument against this one would be, we well, shouldn't have been in a position to be down 22 to the Spurs anyway and only score 35 in the first half. Uh, I'd imagine this one will go down as the most fun, though. Yeah, you are talking to the most short-sighted guy when it comes to the Raptors. Literally near you told me before You told me before you went on air, this the Raptors played a best quarter yesterday since the championship season? Is this what you no, just I told said, me? I said... Scotty Barnes's fourth quarter yeah. was the most impressive quarter I've seen from anybody by the Raptors since the championship season. Okay. Yeah. Do we accept do we accept that one, Blake? With the exception maybe Oh no, that was before. No. There was another one. Utah? Pascal had 25 in the first quarter against the Lakers on the day that Kobe passed away. I think it was against the Spurs. I think it was against the Spurs. Yeah, it was, yeah, in San it was against the Spurs. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, though. Here's the thing. I what was ab- there. I should remember this better. <laughs> what about, what about Fred's 2020 against the Hornets? Okay, that, that doesn't count. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, but I thought you were going to say Fred with the... I think there was a quarter one, eight for eight against Utah Jazz. Yeah, I, I never... The difference was, there is yeah. that was the third quarter. The Pascal yeah. thing was the first quarter. This is the fourth quarter. Okay. And we're talking about uh, Scotty, like, fully taking the spotlight, making yeah. pull-up jumper after pull-up three... Huge offensive rebound, turnaround, two-handed dunk. I mean, what he did to Sohan, he, oh, disgusting. Put him in the rim. Turn him into Sohan. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, legit, man. Yeah. And Barnes was really good defensively, too. Yes. Like, he he yeah. did not. Nobody mm. really had a good defensive first half. There were a lot of miscues and a lot of not finishing up possessions. But he was a monster defensively in the fourth, too. Like, he, he was reading every play that was coming. He was mm-hmm. helping one pass ahead. He was really, really good defensively as well. Uh, and then, obviously, that huge steal uh, jumping the inbound route after OG pushed Wemby out of the out of the restricted area on the final possession. Um, yeah, didn't get the shot off after, but the the steal and timeout was really heady. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think it's the most impressive. Like the Pascal one is the one that I would put up there against it, or, or the Fred one, sure. But or get- or Kyle in the 30 point comeback because that's kind of yeah. what this felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that was well, against the Mavs, and, and Kyle did that with like Boucher and Malcolm Miller, and like. Like, not the full complement of players. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you you look at the stakes, you look at the game situation, you look at the style of dominance. And I, I just love that we've seen this a couple times now of Scotty Barnes having that recognition of and the ability to, hey, this needs to be me for a little bit here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's been four or five-minute bursts in quarters. And this time it was like, no, like, more than a quarter of basketball. It was just, it has to be me now. Yeah, everything was going his way, man. We're talking about, like, step back, pull up three to tie the game in the last minute of the game to complete the comeback. Like, I mean, unbelievable stuff, man. Good for Scotty. Yeah, I mean, stars, you need stars to win in this league. And he outdueled Giannis and, and Wemby last week. Um, That's and, not even a joke. That's no, actually, like, he, he, fully he did. Yeah. He did, and he got them to two wins. Um, per uh, Stats Williams, my guy at ESPN, hmm. 
you're talking about Scotty's special fourth quarter. So he had 17 points, two blocks and two steals in the fourth. And, and you know, according to stats, not his real name, um, he's the third player in the last 10 years with at least 15 points with multiple blocks and steals in a fourth quarter, uh, joining LeBron James and, and Carmelo Anthony. So, wow. Yeah. There, your I eye mean, test, your eye test was great, my brother. I mean, look, listen, um, you know, and, and the, the funniest thing about this game, too, is it just came out of nowhere because the Raptors were so dead in the first half. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I just couldn't believe what team I was watching. Like, I understand that, like, sometimes they're going to run into issues where you got a great rim protector, for example, and Wemby is going to shut off a lot of opportunities in the paint. They're helping off of um, Jakob. There wasn't much space. The Raptors weren't hitting open threes. So I was like, okay, I've seen this sort of formula. But I thought in the second quarter, I was so disappointed. Like, guys going one-on-one. And I'm one-on-one. One-on-one be fine. One-on-two. One-on-three. <laughs> like, guys taking turns, just taking bad shots. Um, guys giving up, like, straight line drives, blow buys. And I was just thinking, my goodness, can we just keep this within 10 points going into halftime so we could flip it around? And no, the Raptors couldn't do that. They were down a significant amount. And, you know, it was against the Spurs team that, like, yes, they were playing well. But, like, at the same time, like, you know, you would expect the Raptors level to be higher than that. Um, especially coming off of two days of rest, too, as well. And and no Devin Vassell no Devin for the Vassell. Spurs, who is, yeah. you know, depending on where you want to rank Wemby in terms of impact in these first six games for them, like, arguably their best player. Probably not. Like, Wemby's going to surpass him yeah, very soon, yeah. if not. But, like, 1A, sure, 1B sure. in terms of uh, the quality of player right now. So, yeah, you shouldn't have been in that spot. And to your point, like, it was not just hey, you had a 13-point quarter because you got cold shooting. They were cold shooting. Everyone other than OG was. But the body language was bad. Mm-hmm. The attention to detail defensively was bad. They they looked like I I think it, that was pretty safely their worst half of the season. Yeah, and that's where the need for someone to emerge and lead the team was at its greatest. Because I thought even in the third quarter, the Raptors came out offensively, did a much better job. Yep. Felt like they realized, oh, Yaka Proto's man is just never on Yaka Proto. So when we drive and we see two, three defenders... We need to give the shovel pass to Yak, and so he can score the ball. Like, I'm, I mean, this is exactly what I asked Pascal about last week in practice. But, you know, like, they had to have the same thing. I think Yak got, like, four straight layups in, to start the third quarter. But I thought the defense just wasn't locked in yet until the fourth quarter. And that's where I thought, you know, Scotty leading the charge, OG leading the charge. But even some of the secondary guys coming in and providing was, was great to see. So happy for Malachi and Otto in particular. Yeah, both of those guys were really solid defensively. Malachi has kind of trended in the right direction mm. on that end of the floor. The offense is still a little here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, defensively, he's got good hands. He's got good anticipation. Otto, obviously, there was a possession where I think it was Keldon Johnson he stuck with late in the game. And it's like, you see that and you're like, uh-oh, like Otto... At this stage, are you worried about him? He stuck with him and obviously came up with a couple of big rebounds again. Um, I thought he was really good. Yeah, it was just, it was a really, and in Pascal had a really rough game, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but he was terrific defensively as well. And what Pascal being so good guarding guard type guys has allowed them to do is use Scotty in that lower half more like we talked about before the season. And that's how like Scotty is on an historic pace for steals and blocks because he's allowed to always be around the rim and always be around the paint. Yeah, no, Darko. Darko has done a good job setting up the team defensively. Offensively, though, they definitely needed that push. And uh, yeah, and I think Scotty like you you laid it out there as a pretty straightforward offensive adjustment. But I do think it's notable that they came out in the second half and like were so scripted and obviously attacking that. Yeah. And part of that is OG hits four threes in the first half, so the Spurs switched Wemby onto OG, and they were like, "You're going to stay in that corner," and they were sure to design those actions away from that side of the floor and as long and crazy as Wemby is, he's not going to be able to come from the weak corner all the way across the paint through multiple guys to contest. He can. He might. 
He might. <laughs> he might be able to. But when Jakob's catching the yeah, ball on, yeah. you know, and the rim's right here, you can yeah. only, you, you know, his arms are long, but they can't bend like that yeah. around the rim. You look like Dennis Rodman uh, describing rebounding yeah. right now <laughs> with the arms. Yeah, man. that was the other thing Scotty did in the fourth. He had two monster offensive. Yeah, or, yeah. One he wouldn't have got credit for because he just kept it alive, tipping it a couple times. But before the before he put Sohan in the dirt, mm-hmm. um, there's a huge offensive rebound where he he takes off. Yep. For basically, as soon as the shot goes up, he he anticipated that one really, really well. Yeah, yeah. More stats for you guys. Is this from uh, we are have our me? Own, we have our own stats. Uh, Williams here, stats Murphy. Um, did you put in these Scotty Barnes trends to discuss here? I don't this, think so. Oh, I think I did. Oh, that. is this yeah. is this Will 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 Stats Williams? Stats Lou. <laughs> stats Lou doesn't really hit. Yeah. Stats Murphy hits. Yeah. Stats Williams hits. Yeah. All right. Stats Lou. Statman Lou. What's the, what's All right, what are the just, stats? Just read my stats. <laughs> no, man. you have them. I, I can't read these stats. I don't why, know what's why, going on here. Why not? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I here's three things that I've, I'm I'm seeing so far uh, mm-hmm. with Scotty that in, in terms of trends. Okay. Which which Scotty Barnes trend is more impressive? Number one, his effective field goal percentage right now on pull up jumpers is 65 percent on just pull up jumpers. Uh, to break that down, he's at 68 percent on pull up twos and 40 percent on pull up threes. And by the way, he had two pull-up threes in the third quarter yesterday. Both of them very needed to force over. And, and so people know, like a floater or a push shot or a hook shot, those aren't considered pull-up twos even if you had the ball on the deck. We're no. talking about jump shots. We're talking about jump shots. We're talking about turnaround, pull-up, yeah. mid-range, all that kind of no stuff. No Ken Birch. The, no the, Ken Birch moves. These the ball yeah. don't stop stats, okay? The, at the ball don't stop stats, he's at 65% effective field goal percentage. Mm. Ridiculous. All right, number two. Scotty Barnes is one of four players in the entire NBA right now with more than 20 stocks. So that's steals plus block. He got stocks. He got a condo downtown. Yeah, he, yeah, he, <laughs> he really got does a lot have of a condo investments right now. Yeah, honestly, invest in that condo, man. I believe. Um, so more than 20 stocks in the season right now. Okay. It's like him, Anthony Davis. Are Son Thompson's in there? Which okay. is like, good for him. This guy's a wolf of Wall Street right now. He really is, man. Um, by the way, Scotty Barnes has also had five block threes already, which uh, I can't actually find what the. Three point block leaders are probably probably Wemby. last year. Bull Bull led the league with sixteen. Yeah, so Scotty has five in seven games. Yeah, that's really that's remarkable. Yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah. Um, so Great word. he is definitely to me at least he's probably leading the league, if not certainly leading the league in block threes. And then the third Scotty Barnes trend: Scotty is first or second on the team in every stat. Not Pascal. First in points. First in field goals made. First in steals. First in blocks, first in offensive rebounds, first in defensive rebounds, which obviously means he's first overall in rebounding, and first in free throws made. He is second in three-pointers made, one behind OG. Wow. And that's because OG hit, like, what, eight yesterday? Seven, Seven eight? Yeah. yeah. Like, what are we doing here, well, man? I mean, this is this, unbelievable. I mean, this makes sense. Like, it passes the eye test, obviously, the way he started, right? Like, the ball's been in his hands. He's been so dominant in, like, crunch time, so... Yeah. So no. I, I would say the most impressive is the shooting one. Mm. I also think it's it's the least likely to sustain, but it's the most important to show that he has that. There was one play in the fourth quarter where Wemby kind of gets stuck between do I close out hard yep. on Scotty Barnes or do I, I stay back into the paint? And that little hesitation, Barnes just kind of did like a, a quick head mm. fake that like as if he was going to pull up. And then he blew way past for a dunk. Like yeah. Wemby was caught out of the lane. There was also one where he attacked uh, Zach Collins closed out too hard. And then Wemby ended up blocking the shot, but Collins fouled him on the way up. So mm. he got free throws off of it. And both of those were products of you'd knock down a couple threes 
and especially big men are not going to know right. how hard to close out on you, you know, where to stop on the closeout and things like that. So I think that one is just, so, it's not going to maintain 68% on twos and 40% on pull-up threes probably. Um, certainly not on twos. I don't think anyone's ever shot that well ever in the history of the NBA. Um, so I don't think that's going to sustain. But I think showing this over an extended period of multiple games here is going to fundamentally change how either it's either going to do change how teams guard him mm-hmm. or it's not going to change how teams guard him and that shot's going to be available to him. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's just such a large skill jump in the span of two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that part's just really impressive. Like, you know, um, it's also the one where like we can get into, and I know people have the like, okay, well the system or what his role was or whatever, but like your percentage on, jump shots is your percentage on jump shots, yeah, right? Yeah, like, sure, sure, like sure. we can get really narrow with degree of difficulty or closest defender or whatever. But for the most part, if you hit 28% on three threes a game, mm-hmm. you're a 28% three point shooter. And he was 30% uh, in his rookie year. So like, that's one area that like the system doesn't really affect it. If you, do, if you're just knocking down way more threes, that's obviously a skill progression for you. I think it's also not just a skill progression, but, or maybe it's related to the skill progression, but it's a confidence thing too. Like, Every game now, you'll see Scotty come off a screen, um, off ball or on the ball, and if the guy goes under the screen, he's actually just popping that three. Yep. And it's a correct basketball read, like for most players in the league, unless you're like a Ben Simmons or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, like that's just a correct read, and he's constantly knocking those down. He had one against Giannis where Giannis tried to cheat go under a screen off ball. Scotty caught on the wing and immediately popped a three in his eyes. Same thing in, in the game today where or yesterday where he did it where Keldon Johnson kind of went under on it too. So. It is kind of really, to your point, changing sort of the way teams will cover him because hopefully then teams will chase him over the top. Then he'll get more of an angle to get downhill. But ultimately, it's just, to me, it's just like a skill jump. It's a confidence jump. And like, I mean, I, I look, I, I predicted a Scotty Barnes breakout this season. I think a lot of people did see sort of something coming. But this is like even way beyond my wildest expectations. Like any of those three stats are ridiculous to me. You would have thought it was a ramp up, right? Like he would yeah. start the season well and then maybe by the end of the season you thought he could be at this level. And it's not like no one thinking that way would have been saying that they're not high on Scotty Barnes. It just, mm-hmm. it takes some time. And for him to come in, I was going to say day one of the season, we'll say day two for the 20 point streak or whatever. Um, it, it's been pretty remarkable on the stat. You said about stocks, uh, the blocks plus steals. Uh, he is the league leader. He has five. Wemby and Herb Jones have three each. So he is, well ahead and on pace to beat Bull Bulls uh, top from last year. The other thing is, in terms of steals plus blocks, mm. he's, and it's early, obviously, he's on pace for 270 combined, okay. which would be second all-time in Raptors franchise history. Alex, do you know who's number one? No, I need a hint for this. Uh, well, I went to you, uh, so it's obviously I got back, a great hint for you. Back you want, in the era. Want. Oh, give me a hint. You got a Chinese tattoo. <laughs> that doesn't narrow it down, man. I got 400 players in my head right now. He got a Chinese tattoo that we saw in person this summer at Patois. What? Who did we see? How many players did what? you see at that restaurant? I'm trying to think right now. I can't think of this. Just tell Marcus me. Marcus Camby. Oh, I forgot we're, I we're met. in June Plum. Oh, my God. He, I forgot I met Marcus Camby. I was, thinking, yeah. I was thinking AC Earl. He had just I was bought, like, there's no he, way. He had just bought like... 15 uh, 3XL t-shirts from Vintage We Trust. Oh, I got a case of the Mondays, man. Unbelievable. I'm locked in now. I thought that Chinese tattoo was going to be Happy New Week, Alex. (laughs) Ni hao. Uh, That's what what he has tattooed on his arm. All right, 2.15 p.m. I'm here now, guys. All right. (laughs) What's good? You want to talk Spurs raps? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's do it. You're running point, man. What's the next topic, Alex? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, the other thing about Scotty is, you know, based on his play early in the season, 
you know, I think, I think we should think about too, like big picture, you know, we talk about the team and like what the direction is, what the hierarchy of these players is. And if Scotty is trending in this direction where he is the number one guy now and he's taking these reins, like I, I think maybe in a way it does clarify the team's direction um, in terms of how you're looking at the trade deadline and, and, and you know, beyond that, how you're looking long-term and stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's five games, wherever it is, like, you know, we, we, we got to still wait and see, but I think if this is the this is the way he's trending this season, you know, I, I I do think this has an impact on like what Pascal's future is, you know, OG even trickling down to like Gary hitting free agency. Like you got to start thinking about building your team entirely around like Scotty's skill sets, right? Well, I mean, even I mean to the point of clarifying your direction on this kind of thing. Like, for example, if you were to trade a Pascal, if you were to trade Gary, I mean, we figure at this point we're not trading OG, um, but if you were to trade those pieces, you have two options, right? You can either choose to trade for current prospects right now, players on rookie scale deals, or you can trade them for uh, first round picks. Yeah. Because Scotty's already at this level, I don't want to see any of the players traded for picks. If you do trade them, trade them for prospects. Mm. Right. So if you look at the Pacers, for example, say yeah. they express interest in Pascal Siakam again, maybe Andrew Nembart as a piece in that trade. I would love that. I want yeah. Nembart. Sure. That. I want and, Nembart. And like, I, whether you're super high on him or not, the fact that he's already a rotation caliber player, um, maybe you you value that more than like some late first in yeah, an course. indiscriminate year in the mm-hmm. future. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because again, like you're seeing the jump happening right now. And I think that, yeah, I mean like um, how you decide in terms of what you move forward with the pieces that you actually keep on the roster or sort of like which specific pieces, like it's kind of determined on sort of how he fits alongside of those kind of players. I mean, it's similar to the discussions we had around Wemby, you know what I mean? Like it was it's essentially like Wemby is going to decide like uh, who's going to be on the team. Um, it's very, very similar in this case. And I think the Raptors have a long way to go on that, right? Because you look at the fourth quarter, what got the Raptors completely free and open, not only was it the energy from the rest of the guys to play defense and the energy from Scotty to do it, it's the fact that everybody, they only played three-point shooters in the fourth quarter. Like, you know, they didn't they didn't play their non-shooters. Like, you didn't see McDaniels. You didn't see, like, Yaka Pertle. Like, you, saw, you didn't even see Pascal for most of the fourth quarter. Right, you saw like guys on the floor who can actually stretch it a little bit, and that created more room, that created more space. Like Darko closing with the small ball lineup was intentional, and it was the right move here too. Yeah, and and like there was some tweaking in there. You know, Scotty Barnes came out for the one minute there to give him a little breather. OG out at the start of of overtime mm-hmm. because he played 15 consecutive minutes. There, like there's some tweaking there. But yeah, I mean, we know what. Well, we don't know yet, but we have a good idea of what a more optimized floor would look like around Scotty Barnes. And that's not to say that they can't figure it out this year as currently created. But, like, is that sustainable long-term? Is that how you want to build? Do you want to build, you know, making those concessions around it? And it's, you know, it's it's. I, I still push back on, I don't think it's a Scotty or Pascal thing in the offense. Mm-hmm. I thought, like... Scotty having a really good game is not why Pascal shot one for six at the rim in that game after taking Jeremy Sohan into the paint every single time. Like, process-wise, that stuff was all available. Pascal very easily could have had eight more points in that game and taken nothing else off the table just by finishing better at the rim. But you add Jakob Pertl to that, and that exacerbates your spacing issues, right, where you do have to intentionally tilt the floor over here and run certain things to get Jakob a couple buckets in a row to start that second half to change the way the defensive spacing looks. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not, 
it's not built optimally around either Scotty or Pascal right now. And having Jakob Pertl also locked in as a starter and a point guard who's not a shooting guard, like like these things kind of add to yeah. to each other. And that's not the like they can figure it out this year. They're gonna be they're gonna win low forties games probably at this rate. Like I think we're all probably feeling roughly what we felt with our preseason predictions. Um, it's just that's not that's not the aspiration long-term with Scotty Barnes. And eventually you're going to need, you know, Grady Dick to step into a starting role, more shooting off the bench and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys think Pascal will be a Raptor um, after the trade deadline? I still if think you were so. to guess today. I, I really do. So I, I still think so. I would be on the other side of that. I don't feel much stronger than 50, 50, but I said prior to the season, I, I like him not having an extension yet is too big a warning sign that yeah. they're at least considering a trade still. Um, and I think, you know, to your point about being able to cash in for a couple prospects, you'd get picks in the deal too. You're probably gonna have to eat some salary and whatever deal, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Unless this team is on like a 50 win pace in February and you can make the case that they could be a second round playoff team. It's hard. And, and if, if you are committed to that, then, you know, sign the extension. So that stops hanging over things. Here's the thing that I confusing to me, um, if the Raptors had signed Pascal to an extension, um, essentially before the draft, roughly before the draft, there was a bit of a deadline there where they signed him to an extension. You can then trade him midseason mm-hmm. with years on his deal and guarantee that obviously he's going to be at least under contract for whichever team is going to pick him up. Right now, if they're trading him on an expiring deal, then whichever team is going to want to trade for him is going to be asking the representatives do you want to resign here? Should we should we trade for you? Because mm-hmm. you know, otherwise you're gonna hold a free agency. Are you gonna resign here? And if they say no, then it's gonna kill your trade market. So I don't understand why they couldn't have just done the extension in the offseason. So I think two things. Why they wouldn't do the extension in the offseason and then turn around and trade him. Yeah. I would imagine if we gave him the true serum, Masai yeah. would say from a player management and reputation standpoint, you don't want to do that. Even though they eventually traded Damar and things like that, you don't want to within six months tell a guy you're a long-term piece here and you're here forever and then turn around and trade him. I get it. It's part of the game, but I think that's what they would say. And then to your point about the extension, I think that that is a relevant point for a handful of teams. I think if you look at the entire history of the NBA and recent, like it's a bluff. Most guys are going to, because you acquire the bird rights, Mm -hmm. shout out to Chris Paul, uh, you acquire the bird rights in a trade. So you're going to be able to offer him more years and more money. And the list of guys who have left when there's more years and more money yeah, on the table okay. is very short. Now, I get it All if right. you're Indiana or OKC or someone like that. that Teams that I would very much like to entertain a trade with. Yes. Um, if you are a team that is, for market reasons and other reasons just don't think, don't trust your ability to re-sign a guy because you can't, he can't be extended once he's traded. He has to wait now. Yep. If he's traded, he has to wait now uh, until the offseason. So, I would get it for a couple of teams. I think for most teams, especially if you're trading for him because you're in a winning environment, I'd call the bluff. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I almost yeah. think by the time you get to the deadline, like you talk about some of these teams like the Pacers and, and the Thunder, like I don't know which other players are going to be available at the trade deadline of like Pascal's caliber. Like there could be a huge market for him. Yeah, for, and I just use teams. Pacers and Thunder as a small market example. Yeah. Teams that might sure, be yeah. in the buy window Philadelphia sometime too. soon. Like, I don't, know what, assets, yeah, I don't yeah. know what assets Philadelphia could really send our way. Uh, oh, I think Tyrese Maxey. You want Tobias Harris? I mean, Honestly, low-key Tobias has played better so far this season. I mean, low, he's on an piece. expiring. That's not interesting You want, B-ball, really you want B-Ball Paul? Yeah. No. We have B-Ball Achua. We have B-Ball Coloco. We have a lot of B-Ball guys. 
So I yeah, I don't. So. That I, is so professional. I don't know what kind of package uh, Philly could put together, but Pascal next to no Embiid? Indiana would be my first call. Yeah, OKC would be my second. I call. want them hard. I want them hard. Yeah, yeah. Philly's going to be more about the picks, turning around those yeah. picks they just acquired in the Harden that, deal. That's, not, that's he, less interesting to me now yeah. that Scotty's made this exactly. Down. I'm and, not and making him wait till twenty twenty. You could probably ask for yeah. Jaden Springer, but like what? Yeah, that's like not... a, another bench guard who can't shoot. Like <laughs> we got no, Jaden and George Springer yeah. in this city, man. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. Like, if you got those picks, you're right. You yeah. would be getting those not to draft those guys, yeah. but, hey, we've got more trade capital moving forward now yeah. is what you'd consider those draft picks. So I, just, I just think we're heading to a point where Pascal's going to get traded at the deadline. I feel like that's where we're heading. There's, you, you made a good point within there that, like, who, who else is going to hit the market between now and the deadline? Like, yeah. someone always does. Yeah, yeah, someone sure. always wants Chicago's out or a team underperforms. Recent, like, like, fold this. Yeah. Right? DeMar. I, I would bet you could get Zach Levine right now if you called the Bulls and, and like, yeah. really gave them a good offer. Really? Yeah. I, I just it's think like a Pascal. Yeah. Just calling the Bulls. No, like, one of these small market <laughs> okay. teams that get to bring Pascal in, you know, then sign him in the summer. Like, you know, that's how you get those players via trade, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for an OKC for an Indiana and it levels you up right away. Like I think about OKC, like they've been to they've been off to a really good start. Shouts to my overpick. Um but like yeah, like instantly. I like I think I would put them right up there. Like not as championship contenders, but like now you've like completely leveled up. And like what's what's the history of guys like Pascal that they haven't signed an extension now like heading into the season of them coming to to an agreement with like the team on an extension between now and like the deadline. Yeah, like you can't actually sign the extension, but yeah. there there could be a handshake right. deal there, and things like that. But, but it just I, doesn't seem like they're moving in that direction. No, no they're really not. And like the on-court stuff too, right? Like it's clearly like he's in a different role right now. And I it mean, seems like everyone has moved on and he's going to be the last person to find out. Well, I mean, listen, I, I think fit-wise, um, he does. it does feel like the last couple of years he's been playing, he's been studying for like math. And then this year, they're like, actually, your major is in history. <laughs> yeah. He's like really struggling with. I love know, Pascal. I want him. I feel like, like if this is the role. Yeah, I feel like maybe the fit with the team isn't there any anymore in terms of the timeline. Like, I think it's just I want Pascal on a good team, like where he has a bigger role. I think it's just good for both sides, maybe at this point, to kind of move on. Yeah, and we'll see, right? Like they've got a. They're they're not trading him until like usually around the league. December fifteenth is kind of the start of. I know yeah. James Harden just got traded, but yeah, there are different. a huge chunk of guys around basketball who aren't yeah. eligible to be traded until yeah. December fifteenth. So they've got at least like five six weeks sure. here of like seeing and, and no, it's it's the Raptors. You, they're going to they're, they're run it all the yeah. way to to whatever that trade deadline. You also have to be is. aware of you. You need to make this work so that the trade value stays high, right? Like you can't have him shooting two at twelve every game and then. Think you're going to get the same package that was there maybe you know July 1st or, or last year. So Do you think Pascal doesn't have enough good enough of a reputation where like even if he has a down season? I think he does, but not being an outside shooter yeah. means he's not a perfect fit everywhere. So you kind of you know for those teams you you want him to be playing sure. well and showing out. That's why Indiana's a nice fit because and Miles they Turner big forwards. They have B. players for us like yeah, young yeah. players. Yeah, and they have lots of shooting and guards. Yeah, yeah. which we need. Yeah, him next to Miles Turner is a really good front court. Fit, the Raptors right. could have done that. That'd be yeah. such an exciting team. I it's mean, they're already exciting. It's all but... good. It's all good. I could just go down to practice until Pascal to pass to Jakob again. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sports Night Radio Network. When we come back, we will check in with Savannah Hamilton on the road. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to the Rapid Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Mike Luke, to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy, and we are joined from the road by Sportsnet's very own Savannah Hamilton. What's going on, Steph? Hey, man, not much. Uh, living the dream on the road right now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, you know, definitely ex- sent you a really uh, sad text yesterday about the state of affairs for the Toronto Raptors. Around, I think maybe the maybe halftime, and then it flipped around. It flipped around. It was a. I should have sent you a, a happy follow up text, but I just kind of assumed that uh, the mood was really happy yesterday. But yeah, take us take us into the scene, like the fourth quarter, the overtime period. Um, what was it like to cover that game live? Because uh, obviously that was one of the more memorable wins of the entire season, if if not uh, for the last couple of years. Well, the team must have read your message at halftime or something, because they certainly. Uh took something to, to heart and ignited a comeback, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, it was unreal to, to 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 be able to cover that game just because, honestly, like it, it was giving me flashbacks of the Chicago game mm. in terms of how much they were down. Chicago game, they were down by like 19, 20 points. This, this game, they were down by as much as 22 points, down by about 19 at the halftime. And so... Uh, it just kind of just like reminded me of that game a lot. And we know how that game ended. And so even when you they rallied a comeback, for some reason in that comeback, it just felt a lot more controlled and intentional and smart basketball because I thought it was like just brilliant uh, that Scotty caught the, like stole the ball off of an inbounds play and like instinctively timeout. Like that was, I, I was wondering, it was that Coach Darko that was in the huddle that said, hey, guys, if anybody gets a steal, immediately call a timeout, or if that was Scotty himself. Um, and I honestly, I think it was Scotty himself that actually just called that timeout like very instinctively. And then, boom, into overtime, momentum's now swinging into the Raptors' way, and they got the job done. Like, I think that's what you want to see. I feel like even just going into the game, maybe there's a sense of, who's this Wembenyama kid? That was, like, obviously, like, the talk of the town, even the practice before. And so I wondered... To myself, I'm like, I wonder how much of an intimidation factor actually played into the heads of the guys at one point because, you know, the, the Raptors were allowing a lot of points in the paint early into the game. And it wasn't necessarily Wemby that was scoring all those points. It was actually other guys getting looks. And it's like, well, that would never per se happen otherwise. And even when Wemby was off the court, that was still happening. So they cleaned that up. They cleaned up the turnovers because turnovers were really bad in the first quarter, second quarter a little bit as well. Um, and so, so it was just seeing how they kind of clean things up throughout the end of the game. And then by the end, like by the time overtime happened, just how controlled they were, I was like, okay, that is the Raptors team that I think we were all waiting to show up. They should have showed up in the first quarter, hey. but Hey, beggars can't be choosers. It, it made it more fun. <laughs> it did make it more fun to watch. So, I mean, I, I yeah, do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, okay. Look, we, we didn't talk much when we in the first, uh, segment here, but I mean, I don't know. It's a weird question, but did did you walk by Wemby? You know, like what what's the what's the real life aura check on, on Victor Wembanyama? You know, before the game, I was like so caught up in doing a lot of like chasing for stories mm. and free game pressers. I wasn't able to go like a complete side by side with him, but we were about fifteen feet away. That's how that's the closest I got to him because he was around the free throw line and I was um filming him okay. <laughs> on the baseline. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah. You know, he really is that tall. And, I mean, it's kind of almost hard to process that, like, he's 19. Uh, and and he's so slim, too. But it's weird. So he's slim, but he's also, he has a lot of tone to him. So he's, like, he's oh, okay. solid. He's solid. 
And so I think that doesn't read on camera well when we're watching game action. You know, I've heard people be like, this kid's going to break in three pieces. Like I've heard so much about, is he health? Is he going to be healthy enough in the long term? Just seeing him in person, he actually looks like he has a bit more sturdiness mm. than what reads on camera, at least. I think it's also because he's next to these grown men that have had 10 years of building muscle, but he's not like the slimmest person I've ever seen in the world either. So um, that was probably the, the the takeaway that I took from seeing him in person, um, at least as close as I got. So yeah, like, you know, it's, it is surreal to process that a human being could be that tall with about an eight foot wingspan yeah yeah and og learned it a couple times the close out <laughs> on a corner three from far far away uh the buckets under the basket uh scotty tried him under the basket as well just just not happening um so obviously that takes some adjustments uh savannah you mentioned uh kind of how bad the first half was um darko after the game called it special for building that te- building the team's character. Um, what did you make of the game that Darko had, some of the adjustments in the second half, and did you sense that kind of energy around things by the end of the game? Yeah, I think the biggest adjustment was just, one, locking down on defense to make sure that they didn't allow as much points in the paint, and then cleaning up the turnovers. Like, it really wasn't, like, you know, in my opinion, from what I saw, like, anything revolution like revolutionary like it wasn't anything that like they did wildly different it was just more so i think the the intimidation factor of Wemby, i think that just went down the drain because they're like okay once you get blocked by him once okay you got that's it like you know not to do that again um and then i think on top of that like just in terms of like you know the the style of play they're letting og like og had a hot hand and they're just letting him go um and then scotty picked it up five notches in the fourth quarter. Like there's a certain about, like I do give coach credit for being able to make certain rotations. He also talked about how he left OG on the court for 15 minutes, which honestly, like in this game, if you had to, like he was the primary defender on Wemby and he had a hot hand on offense. You had to leave him in. That's why he didn't start in overtime because he had to just get a breath of air for himself before closing out the game. Um, you know, but so I I do credit Darko for making certain decisions like that. But there's other decisions, just like in-game decisions that you you can't tell a player like Scotty, you know, hey, can you uh, step it up? Like he's trying his entire time. But, you know, then there's but there's times where you just see him kick it into another gear. And like, you know, that's just Scotty. Like, that's just the, that's that is what we're watching right now is a future star in this league. Mm. And so that's his fourth quarter coming fourth fourth quarter time coming out and just taking over and dominating the game. Um, and so, yeah, so like, you know, I, I do credit coach Darko for being able to keep his composure and, you know, win, win against a really tough Spurs team against one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, but definitely I give a lot of player, uh, credit to the players for how they were able to respond and receive coaches feedback and, and, and implement it. Yeah, we, we talked a lot about Scotty uh, in the first segment, but I, I think one thing that kind of stood out was just the, the spacing on the floor looks so much better in the fourth quarter. Because they were playing guys like Otto to close the game, because, you know, Gary, Malachi, Grady, like these guys all play pretty big roles. And it was up to them to compete defensively. And I thought all three of those guys did that. You know, I love Malachi, you know, coming in and scrapping. And, uh, you know, that's his way of contributing on defense is to sort of come in and do that. And Otto with two tie ups for jump balls. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to win those jump balls. But I mean, at the same time, it's just good defensive um, recognition there. Um, but the spacing just looks so much better. Like, how, how important is that spacing uh, to to what Scotty was able to do in the fourth quarter and what we might want to see more of going forward? Oh, yeah. Like, the first first and foremost, the, the shot that really, like, rings back and forth in my head was when Scotty almost looked like he just, like, 
like chucked it and it just like phew, swished right in. Mm. And I was like, man, that's called reps in the gym in the summertime. Right. Like you could tell that Scotty been putting in the work. So he's spacing the floor with his own game. And he's not known as a three-point shooter specialist over here, but has his three-point shot improved to a point where you have to respect it? Absolutely. This season so far from what you've been seeing. Um, OG with the hot hand again, like I don't think on the scouting report, the Spurs per se had OG three-point specialist, but Maybe they should because OG, we've been seeing this throughout the course of the season as well. He's been finding his spots. Normally, he was just that corner three guy. Now we're seeing him shoot from the wing, mm. from the top, mm-hmm. other side, weak side. Like, you know, it doesn't matter at this point where he's shooting. He's he's starting to hit these shots consistently around the, the three-point shot. So it's not just like, you know, a guy like Grady um, who, you know, we didn't see that, that much uh, minutes or action from him per se yesterday, but like, you know, it's not just relying on one guy. When you have guys that can space the floor, of course, auto coming in and just being immediately ready um, and bringing that energy, like you said, with, with Malachi, you know, like those are all factors that, you know, I mean, probably weren't ending up on the scouting report of just like this burst of energy that's going to just like infuse into this last quarter. Like they really did. Like we're going to give our one last, all, like our one last try to throw the kitchen sink at them and give it our all. And I think what Malachi did really well yesterday was just like, not force things per se like he really played the role of like just being a bit more of a facilitator and being a guy that could just be a bit more in the glue position mm, um yeah. but i think at, with this team with the amount of talent this team has like that's what we need from a guy like malachi right now you know I'm not saying he can't grow into something else it's just more like what he could contribute right now mm-hmm. um and as like scotty is literally he's we're, he's blossoming before our eyes um so yeah so i think I think it's, it's it, you know, just in terms of spacing, and this is what the Raptors have been looking for for so long. Right. Um, and I think yesterday was a taste of, like, you know, when it's all working, this is how they can be. So you use the term blossoming for, for Scotty Barnes, and there was a lot of great stuff in that second half, in that fourth quarter, in, in that game. Um, Sav, what is most impressive to you about that performance Scotty had and really his season so far? Um, because, you know, there are any number of things you could highlight as a positive, an area he's growing. What, what has been the most important in your eyes? Uh, it's funny. So I had a conversation with Scotty about this and I or earlier this season, um, and I asked him, I was like, dude, like, what's, what's happening? Because, like, you are looking more confident. You're looking like a like more decisive and he's exactly it. I'm being more decisive. I'm making decisions before I even get the ball in my hands. Of course, I'm going to read the defense, but for the most part, I know what I, I know what I want to do. Um, and then on top of that, he's having, he told me that it boils down to having the confidence of just, and then executing it. Mm. Um, so he's like not thinking twice about if he wants to take a shot, he's going to take a shot. Mm-hmm. If he wants to drive, he's going to drive. And I think that is the level of aggressiveness. And he even said it for himself. He wants to be more aggressive. Um, that we're seeing now being played out. Like we we all know he had the tools. Like we we yeah. this kid came in NBA ready, like out of Florida State. And it wasn't a matter of if he has them, it's a matter of can he use them. And right now we're seeing that he's getting confident to use it. Like, for example, like anybody can gra- go to Home Depot, grab a toolbox with all the with all the gears and a hammer and start like pounding, pounding away or something at, at something. But do you know how to use it? 
or are you confident with it? Mm -hmm. Like that's the difference between if you're going to be successfully hanging up a painting or putting a hole in a wall or something like that. And I think that's what Scotty's doing right now. He's taking his toolbox of stuff that he's being able to use and he's confidently picking up the right tools at the right times and being able to like use them in the correct moments. And he's being decisive and he's committing to it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm seeing from Scotty. And that that's why, you know, he is this, I use the term blossoming, as you said, like that's why we're seeing him blossom because he's just being that much more confident in what he's doing. Right. Well, I mean, first off, great tie-in to I, I think Scotty has a scholarship, right, with the skill trades. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Oh, I, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's where you're going with that, but I, that's what made the more. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think so. Scotty obviously is playing well. OG's playing well. Um, ben showed signs of life yesterday that was pretty nice. I love even seeing Gary get get on the floor and dive for a loose ball. A couple, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like for the first time all season, Gary played to the, lo- the level where it's going to be required. Like, he met the the requirement of how hard he needs to play um, defensively. Um, the one guy that kind of sticks out like a Thor some you say was Pascal. Like, and, and it's sort of been that way all season. I mean, from what are you seeing from Pascal in terms of, we know he can be very effective as a player. Obviously, the Raptors played pretty differently the last couple of years under a different coach. Um, but can Pascal get back to that level? Because to me, it feels very much like if Scotty's playing at this level and we can get Pascal to play at last year's level, then the Raptors should be in a really good place. But Pascal is playing at like half of last year's level. So what's what's going on there? I mean, I can't say per se. I'm not in the mind of Pascal. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, talking to him like every day like that. So, you know, I can only give you my perspective of what I'm seeing myself on the court. And that is essentially adjusting to a different role. Um, he's being asked to play more off ball. And there is like, just to like, just to be clear, like Scotty and Pascal, they have nothing but appreciation for each other in terms of each other's games. You were there, Will. I think that was your clip that you filmed about Pascal and Scotty both giving each other flowers. But I think when it comes to just the on-court chemistry, it's something that he's probably still figuring out a little bit because Dennis also has the ball in his hands a lot. Mm. So if it's not Dennis, it's Scotty. Um, and, and then, so where does that kind of like plug and play Pascal, who is used to almost like he could arguably grab the rebound, take it all the way down the court himself, do a spin to a layup. Like, yep. you know, how many times have we seen that? Mm-hmm. And so now that that's not the case, that's not what he's being asked to do. He's being asked to play out of the wing and be basically a cutter, be a great cutting option. Or if he does get the ball to the wing, dribble handoff or turn the corner and get straight to the rim. Right. Like there's, it's a different play action. Um, and I argue it's, I would say it's more efficient. I, like I, I'm not, a, I'm not against the, what the new offense and system is. It's more efficient. It's not ISO ball. Um, but it's a matter of really committing to that system and trusting in it. And just also making sure that when you are playing off ball, that you're, you're like, and I'm not saying that he's not doing this, but I'm saying that like, you have to have the correct spacing to be open, to get the ball in a shooting in a scoring position, whether that's a shot whether it's a drive or a great pass for a teammate. Um, and so that's just a different, like, uh, perspective of the game that, like, you know, like, that could take time to adjust to. And it's not that Pascal's been awful. No, Pascal's still been pretty solid. It's just that, you know, I think that when you're having a guy that's taking up a lot of space on the floor like Scotty is and they're allowing him to to do that too, um, you know, you, you got to figure out how to play, to be right next to him and and, and amplify both games at the same time and that's a tricky balance so what are you looking for then if they come out wednesday that you know if you're put yourself in i know you're not in pascal's head but put yourself in pascal's head or or put yourself in in coach darko's head what does it look like to you if pascal is 
looking more comfortable or finding his spots a little better. I, I think of yesterday and, you know, he goes one for six at the rim. Um, and, and that to me isn't uh, like, obviously there was enough space for him to get there. He, he did a good job. I watched the clips back there. Wemby wasn't around for any of them. It was just uh, snake bitten a little bit and maybe in his own head or, or just rushing a little bit. What to you would be a good indicator on Wednesday that, you know, Pascal watched tape back feels a little better about his spots and feels a little more comfortable Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, that's on him to get into the gym. That's all. That's all that is. And just get out of your head. Cause I like, He's a human being. He could probably, he's just overthinking it. I call those missing bunnies. Like, like those are just bunny shots. Um, and like every player has a bad game and that wasn't his best game. Like, and then he would probably be the first one to acknowledge that. Uh, and I think the issue is just more so the fact that like, you just haven't seen like a Pascal Siakam, like dominating performance yet. Like, whereas like, this was a, this was a Pascal takeover game. We haven't seen one of those yet. Um, I think that's just, once again, just because it's a, it's a team offense. Um, and Pascal is used to having the ball in his hands and used, used to even taking it all the way up court. So if I'm Pascal, I'm thinking, how can I make the most out of the spots that I'm working out of? And because he's still an all-star, I have full confidence that he can make those adjustments. Um, and and challenge himself too to like get more get creative in terms of what he can do in the half court sets like okay maybe uh maybe there's something in screen action or maybe there's something in, in the dribble handoff maybe they're dribble handing it off to pascal maybe it's like a reverse a reversal instead of expecting to go you know straight downhill like i think it causes like, it causes more creativity when you give it when you're given a challenge basically look at it in two ways it's either like you're gonna like step up to the challenge get creative and how to work around it and the, in this case the challenge would be adjusting to a different offense um or you know or 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 not or not <laughs> like, yeah. you know and but i think i think ultimately like i'm not even like i'm not personally hyper focused on last night's game about pascal's performance because i just think it's one of those games that he probably wishes he could get back himself so you know that's just called missing bunnies yeah, well, I mean, I, I think everybody hits this point in their career, and I think that probably he wasn't expecting to hit this point in his career right now, but everyone hits this point in their career where they have to adjust and play a different role. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like, look, listen, it was personally successful for him, and it was good even for the team for him to play in that role. But obviously when you change coaches, like, you're going to be asked to do a different thing uh, for the most part. And, like, you know, there's an opportunity to grow. Like, I, that's what I really see it all as. And with that transitionary period, like, you got to get through it or, you know, the, the team makes decisions about yeah. it. But that's... And to be clear, the team is still winning the minutes when he's on the floor and when yeah, him yeah, and yeah. Scotty share yeah. the floor. Like, they're they're not... It's not hurting the team. It's just, like, it it's just stands out is all relative to what we've come to expect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's what... I think that's the biggest adjustment, too, is, like, on us as media, adjusting to what our expectations are of Pascal a little bit as well. Um, and I think, like, in the most ideal world, to, like, get back to kind of like your question, Blake... I think that like Pascal would be an amazing cutter to the rim. I think there's chances for a lot of um, like if he was to run the floor, bounce off like the 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 baseline um, between the three point uh, line and baseline, and then come straight up to the you know, he he could he could just make himself available through spacing is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think he could potentially create a lot of shots for his teammates because everyone knows it's Pascal Siakam. Everybody's going to guard him like he's an all-star, as they should, because you can't leave him open. And so I think there's opportunity within the offense just to play like a lot more efficiently um, than he was in the past. And, I mean, like I said, I would see it as an opportunity more than a challenge. 
for him. Uh, and, and But yeah, but that just comes a little bit of, of time to adjust, I think. Mm. Well, um, what do you have planned for the rest of the road trip? You know, you're still not home for another week at least. I know, I know. It was four games in 11 days. So, uh, <laughs> so we got some time on the road. I mean, I'm just catching up on emails right now. And oh, like, wow. I'm about to work out. And then, uh, and then, yeah, tomorrow's the game. And then we go to Boston. I get to see my sister. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, nice. That's really nice. What happens with Kovu when you're on the road? I'm surprised you didn't ask Will or me to, to take him in. <laughs> well, I don't know how familiar the audiences are with uh, my cat. Kovu. <laughs> um, Blake, I might have to hit you up next time because I know you don't live too far from me downtown. Uh, but he's actually. Oh, wow. my I parents. got three cats at home, you know, so, you know. You want a fourth? They can, get, they can get along. Yeah, they could be, I could have a fourth cat in the house, you know. You're going to have to come up with like substitution patterns. You're going to have so many cats. Yeah, it's fine, man. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll have, a, we'll have a Kovu on bench. At some point. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's he's named after a lion on purpose, okay? He's oh, a starter. Oh, okay. All right. All right. You a starter? All right. Cool, cool. No six man. He's a starter. All right. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, Sav, I, I hope you have a safe rest of the road trip. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll text you with uh, more optimistic things about the Raptors. And they say the nice things, man. <laughs> they yeah. won. They still won. They, they won. did win. That's, that's, why, that's why this show is so happy. Because imagine they lost yesterday on those free throws by Keldon Johnson at the end. So, anyway, Sav, appreciate <laughs> you, and uh, safe travels, right? Thank you so much. Take care, man. Yeah. Um, speaking of those free throws at the end, though, I do want to just uh, issue a bit of a correction from yesterday, and I think this is pretty important for me to do. So, yesterday on the postgame podcast, I did uh, use Che Flores' dead name, which I did not realize. Um, and, you know, I've since read the, the GQ piece about um, their transition and sort of how much more comfortable they feel being Che and... Uh, yeah, just wanted to issue that apology. That's all. You know, it was, a, it was an accident, but at the same time, it's pretty important to acknowledge these things. So, um, bad call, though. I don't care, though. That's a bad call. That was a bad call. But I'm really happy that OG got the game-tying layup, and the Raptors were able to win the game, uh, ultimately, in overtime. So, we will uh, take a break from the Raptors, at least in the next segment. We are going to look around the league for a little bit. But in the meantime, uh, I've been your host, Willu, and you've been listening to The Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And we are joined on the line as we go around the NBA with Chris Mannix of SI. Chris, how are you doing? What's going on, guys? What's going on? So uh, what we saw over the weekend, uh, play-in tournament, in-season tournament, um, I guess I guess they're both live now, but yeah, the in-season tournament, sorry, uh, was rolled out. Obviously, a lot of discussion about just how, uh, I don't know, gory the, the red courts were <laughs> or sort of how distracting it was, but the encore product was, was quite good. Uh, I wanted to get your initial thoughts on the NBA rolling out the uh, in-season tournament idea. Yeah, I thought the courts were interesting, to say the least. Um, you know, some of them were a little – I mean, the Indiana one I thought was really weird. The Portland one, you know, just a little bit too much red maybe. But, you know, look, it's 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 for different demographics. Do a younger generation like it? Uh, you know, the NBA has made it very clear to me and to others that there's going to be a lot of trial and error when it comes to this 
you know, in this year and, and probably in the first couple of years of, of doing this tournament. But, look, the gameplay was largely excellent. You had some close games, and, uh, you know, the competitiveness was, was pretty high. And that's what the NBA was looking for. I wrote about this in the magazine last month about how, to, how this kind of came about. And, you know, one of the metrics the NBA was looking for was going to be off the eyeball test. They were, they were looking to see if the energy was different, if mm. uh, the style of play was harder, more competitive, um, because that's what they're looking for in these games. I mean, in these games have oftentimes been kind of a slog early in the season where you don't have a lot of eyeballs on them and players kind of go through the motions. Uh, if the NBA can get more competitive early season, regular season games out of it, uh, that, that's going to be a big win for them moving forward. So what will define success for, for this experiment, um, like medium term? Like obviously this year it's just let's get some exciting games. Let's have the Michael Imperioli commercial. Let's have, e- even if people are chirping the courts, everyone now knows that in-season tournament games look distinct um, and, and then we'll have the distinct looking Vegas semifinals and finals. Um, so that's, you know, kind of year one, but by, I don't know, year three, year four, what constitutes a success for the NBA with this? Well, what, what constitutes success is having a broadcast network say to the NBA, we'll pay you $500 million for the right to broadcast it in the seasons to come. And this is entirely a, a television play. The NBA is pretty transparent about that. They're looking to sell something new. I mean, they've got a TV rights deal that is going to get bid on as early as this summer. And you know, the NBA has made no secret of the idea they're going to fragment it. You know, you're going to see ESPN in the U.S. get a package. Turner will, will likely get a package. But then you may see an NBC jump in, a streaming service jump in. And being able to sell this tournament a la carte is another way for the NBA to increase its revenue. So uh, th- this really, what will define success is if we're having the same conversation a year from now and NBC has stepped in and basically bought the rights to broadcast it on select nights and pay the NBA premium for it. Yeah. Well, um, I was reading the piece that you're mentioning uh, for the magazine and I didn't realize this, but I guess some idea of this has been kicked around for over a decade. Can you sort of take us through like the ideation of this? Yeah. I mean, look, one thing that Adam Silver excels at as commissioner and why he has endeared himself to owners so much is that he is entirely revenue driven and he is very good okay at negotiating television deals. Even some of the most skeptical top executives, team presidents that I've talked to about Adam Silver, I've always said when it comes to TV stuff, Adam Silver just gets it. And he, he is someone they have complete confidence in. And look, the idea of in-season tournaments and play-in stuff have, have been in the NBA water supply for decades. But really, since Adam Silver took over as commissioner, have the people in the NBA office really ramped up their efforts to, to get it right. And, but, you know, COVID set them back a couple of years. They were hoping to roll some stuff out, you know, prior to that. Uh, but the timing just kind of worked for this season with, you know, having time to kind of play it out after the play-in tournament success and, and then having a TV deal coming up. You know, again, I keep going back to that. I mean, you know, if the NBA is looking to maximize its revenue, having a, a new thing – that they can sell a la carte is, is going to be a, a big revenue driver for teams. So yeah, this, this, there've been, you know, countless permutations of, of all this. And then, and look, like I said, the trial and error part, 
there's going to be changes this in the years to come. You might see the winner of the play-in tournament moving forward uh, get an automatic playoff berth. You might see the winner of the play-in tournament get an extra draft pick in the first round. There's going to be a lot of ways the NBA incentivizes this. Right now, it's purely financial. You know, players get money, coaches get money, but don't be surprised at all in the years to come if you see, you know, more radical changes and more radical incentives introduced. Yeah, and Chris, you laid out the case in your piece that in addition to those financial incentives, you know, the league's making a little bit of a bet that, yeah, these players are super competitive and you put them in an environment where anything's on the line. And, you know, short of most all-star games that don't involve Kyle Lowry, uh, that is uh, that has been uh, the case in, in the past. Uh, in the past. Uh, and Chris, uh, obviously at the team level, a uh, larger television package suits everyone, right? Like the, the motivation at the team side is, uh, well, we all want this to work. But in terms of those team side incentives you mentioned, like a, a playoff berth or, or a draft pick or a cap exception, whatever, is there one system that you've thought about that you particularly like to make sure everyone is well incentivized to go kind of all in for this in-season tournament? I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, I was just speaking with an agent this afternoon who said, you know, look, you know, $500,000, even to top end players, you know, is real money. So guys are going to want to compete, you know, for that, um, for that prize. Same thing with the coaching staff, giving them a slice of the revenue as well. I've talked to a number of front office execs who would like to see that, that <laughs> go for them too. They, they want a piece of that action uh, as well. But I also think it, you know, from a team perspective, you know, adding a 31st pick in the draft is a pretty damn good incentive in the first round to for you know for a team to have that if they win the uh, the in season exception to be created you know is a good way to incentivize it. Birth is the ultimate incentive. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that would work and how you would seed that team, but you know if, if you have the opportunity to clinch a playoff spot in December, uh, that's that's pretty good reason for a lot of teams to play pretty hard in uh, in that in season tournament. And most importantly, I think. You know, the, look, the NBA knows that, you know, guys like LeBron and Nikola Jokic and, you know, the veterans of this league are not going to fully engage in all this. But this is as much about, you know, the Cooper flags and the young players that are sophomores and juniors in high school that are watching this now that will eventually come to the NBA thinking like, you know, I want to win this. I mean, in-season tournaments, it's not a novel idea. Soccer has been doing it for generations over in Europe and they've done it to, to wild success. That's what the NBA is banking on, that this is around for 5, 10, 15 years, and the next generation of players gets really excited about it and wants to compete for it. Yeah, well, I mean, the 31st pick is really interesting to me because um, I believe that's already been acquired by Sam Presti. Uh, pick to be named later. <laughs> Probably. I wonder if you could trade the 31st pick that you win from this. No, I mean, look, listen, I, I think more than anything else, like, we, we take it so much in the business case. I thought the basketball was just really good. I think that's probably the biggest win for the NBA is that, like, you know, you look at the slate of games and, you know, Friday night, I mean, I, I watched the majority of all of these games and they all came down to the last minute, essentially. You got several really good ones. Obviously, you know, the Warriors with, with Steph winning that game winner were Draymond fully goaltending the basket, but <laughs> somehow it wasn't a goaltend. Uh, but no, just a number of great games. And um, yeah, I mean, I just think that yeah. like obviously the product on the court, I mean, you can't necessarily fool the consumer into buying basketball unless it's really good basketball. And, l- and luckily we've got really good basketball at least. Well, the, the criticism I've never really understood, and it's come from all corners, you know, over the last week or so or a few days. Um, and look, I, I don't understand pool play at all. And, and I've studied this as much as any media person in the business. I have no idea how it all works. Like, I don't know how, and I probably won't, and most people won't. But you have to think about it this way. What's the worst case scenario here? 
the worst case scenario is it looks just like every other November and December regular season yeah. game that we've had to watch. There is no, these are regular season games. Like they're being double billed as, you know, tournament games in season tournament games, but they're still regular season games that count in the regular season standing. So the very worst thing that can come out of all this is that it's a lot of hype for not a lot of substance. That to me is not worth, you know, I mean, people get bent out of shape on social media all the time, but I've seen it across platforms, you know, people being like, this is ridiculous. The NBA shouldn't do it. There is quite literally no downside to doing this in-season tournament. Right. It's taking nothing off the table. Uh, and like you said, best case scenario, gives additional TV offerings. The other way NBA could increase uh, interest in games in the regular season is have James Harden get traded very, very early on. And tonight, suddenly uh, Clippers at Knicks is the first look we're going to get at a Westbrook, Harden, George, Leonard, Zubots starting lineup. I, I know you wrote about this after the trade at SI, Chris. Um, what, are you, what are you looking for most tonight? What are you looking forward to most tonight as we, as we finally get to see, after a long wait here, uh, this version of the Los Angeles Clippers? Yeah, I'm in New York, and I'll be at that game tonight. And I guess what I'm looking forward to the most is seeing how, how much the ball moves in that Clipper offense. I mean, you've got four guys uh, now in that starting lineup that are high-usage rate players. I mean, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, Granted, this was several years ago for both, but they have two of the highest usage rates in per season in NBA history. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard last year were top 40 in usage rate. I mean, you just got I got a lot of guys that are used to holding on to the ball, and, and you can't succeed that way, you know, in the NBA. Not against good teams playing isolation basketball over and over again, and and more from a micro level. You know, how does Westbrook and Harden work? Who's the primary ball handler? you know, with that group. I mean, does, does some of the, the momentum that Westbrook has built over the last, you know, eight, nine months or so dating back to the second half of last season, does that get derailed? Because once again, he might be the guy standing in the corner who can't make a three point shot. And look, you know, it's a different team, but you know, the Westbrook Harden pairing didn't go that great in Houston for one year. They broke it up pretty quickly. So I don't know why you, you were going to believe that both these guys at that stage are going to suddenly find that chemistry once again. So it's going to be really interesting. But I think if you're looking at it for a number thing, like look for assists, look for number of passes. You might not get a good grasp of that early on in this, this pairing because, or this group, because I think they'll go out of their way to try to be unselfish. But as the season goes on, you know, four guys that like to have the ball in their hands, that's going to be a very, very tricky problem for Ty Lue to try to solve. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because so many of these guys are hitting for agency as well or have the option to hit for agency. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's 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 really got to work really quickly. Uh, luckily, Ty Lue obviously is a very, very good coach, championship coach, hmm. um, all that as well. Yeah, I think your point about the isolation is, is going to be really key, right, because that would be such a missed opportunity for this group because there is obviously a really, really high ceiling if they learn how to play together. I think that, you know, the Clippers have needed a point guard for a really long time. And I thought Russ was a really nice addition for them last year. Fit really nicely. Culture-wise, they've talked so much about how much energy he's brought to the locker room, how much competitiveness. Uh, a guy who takes the regular season seriously, which uh, is a real problem over there. Um, but I don't think he had the necessary skill set that I think James brings with the pick-and-roll aspect that, you know, even just him running a pick-and-roll with Zubac as sort of like your backup option with like 10 seconds off on the clock, like that's pretty damn good in addition to the fact that you have all these other guys that you can play through. So I'm interested to see how that all works out. They almost have too many stars. I think on the other side of the, the matchup here for the Knicks, 
Um, it, it looks like it's just Jalen Brunson by himself. And I don't know if he's, he's playing like that or if the, the rest of the team isn't supporting, but love to hear your perspective on uh, what's going on with the Knicks because uh, Julius Randle is truly off to a horrendous start. And the Knicks, they just don't play pretty basketball. And I think that they're not getting the results to follow like last year. Yeah, I mean, overall, the offense has been terrible. Jalen Brunson has been excellent, but overall, the offense has been bottom third in the NBA in virtually every statistical category. It just feels like they're one, like, five-minute scoring drought away from Tom Thibodeau pressing the Evan Fournier break glass in case of emergency button on that bench and sending him out there to bomb threes. Um, You know, Randall's been really bad, and he's a lightning rod with that team, and and deservedly so this season. He's under 30% from, from everywhere, it seems like. And, you know, you saw Thibodeau, who was very, very loath to criticize Randall publicly. After that Milwaukee game, you know, had a you know, not-so-subtle shot directed at him about kind of, you know, not just looking for shots for the sake of looking for shots, taking shots that are more in rhythm and passing the ball when, when the double team comes. I mean, he's, he's got to be the guy. He's their only, only real option for a number two option. R.J. Barrett's fine. And is always kind of be what be what he is, uh, but Julius Randle's the guy that has proven he can be an All NBA level player, and he can't revert to the guy that we saw a couple of years ago that that couldn't make a shot from anywhere, and you know was just uh, far more inefficient than he's been in previous seasons. So what I'm looking for the Knicks is, you know, can Randle shake this off? You know, can he get back to being something close to the player we saw last year that we saw in what was it 2021 when he had a really good year? Um, if he can't. You know, it, it, it could be a, a tough season for the Knicks offensively because they just don't have a lot of firepower off that bench. All right. So you had the Knicks in your latest NBA panic meter that went up this morning at Sports Illustrated. Uh, you had their panic level uh, or just the Julius Randle panic level, at least uh, a six out of 10. Let, let's keep it in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you are more panicky about the Chicago Bulls and the start they're off to. Sounds like some of, so there are some similar challenges that the Knicks have, but maybe uh, a little less confidence that the Bulls are going to figure it out here uh, at two and five. What worries you most about the Chicago Bulls team? I mean, everything. They're just, they're just not very good. And the, the, at least with the Knicks, you, you can see where the upside is. You know, Jalen Brunson is still relatively young. Julius Randle is still relatively young. You're, you, you see a pathway for the Knicks to, to shake off their early season struggles and, and get, get to that you know, level of contention where they're a top three or four team in the Eastern Conference. There is no pathway for Chicago to get there. They have been an average to below average team ever since Lonzo Ball went down you know, almost two years ago. And I, I don't see any way for them to – to improve. It's not like DeMar DeRozan is going to become a three-point shooter all of a sudden. You know, Zach Levine had one of the most remarkable stat lines ever when he had that 50-plus points and zero assists in a game that they lost. I think he had, like, at one point he had a minus – I think he did a minus plus minus in that game, which is staggering. Vucevic is what he is, a decent offensive player, and, you know, no defense on that. And they're just, they're just not very good. They're very average. They're a team that – I mean, the way I framed it in the, my column was, you know, they're rebuilding. They don't even know it. Like, they're just – You've just got to admit that you're not there and you're not going to get there. Don't go out there and try to plus up your lineup with, you know, veterans to just to sneak into the play in. If there's ever a team in the NBA that needs to tear it down, it's them. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they've, they've lost some draft picks over the years, but they've got their own first round pick this year. And if they sink into the, you know, the bottom half of the top 10 or into the top 10 uh, next year, they can keep that pick, 
that they were supposed to give to San Antonio and that DeRozan trade. So there's incentive for this Bulls team to, to, to bottom out. And, you know, if I'm Chicago, I'm talking to Philly about Zach Levine. I'm talking to other teams about DeMar DeRozan. I'm looking to trade Vucevic. I mean, hell, Alex Caruso might be the most valuable guy of them all. Mm. Alex Caruso won a championship, and he's a two-way player. I mean, those guys are incredibly valuable in the league. I mean, and with, with the NBA being so competitive right now, if you've got assets that could push a team over the top, you've got to shop them, and you've got to shop them hard. Instead, right now, Chicago seems determined to, you know, you know stitch together whatever kind of team they can to get into the play-in, and I just don't understand that, that mindset. I do wonder if um, that specific front office – who really put this whole thing together has that ability or has that want to to rebuild when it's essentially your own admission that uh, this group doesn't work. But I think the thing that's especially worrisome for Chicago is like there's not like a young guy where it's like, you know, here in Toronto, for example, we, we talk about it sometimes. Well, OK, the Raptors might rebuild and, and, and move some pieces around so that we free up Scotty. And it's like, oh, that makes sense because, you know, you have somebody that who's here who is a ready made star who, you know, could use more reps and can grow. Uh, in Chicago, there's nobody like that. You know, like, you're not taking down the team and then handing it to Patrick Williams or Colby White or uh. Dasunu. Like, you know, these aren't that was those type of pieces. So, yeah, they definitely aren't a ta- ta- uh, talent deficit. But, um, yeah, I think the last thing I really wanted to ask you uh, was just about the Celtics. I mean, look, listen, I think it's it's funny because they're playing so well and yet, like, there's not that much discussion about them. I guess everyone just kind of assumed that they'd be good and, they have been good, but I mean, I don't know. Are the Celtics just very clearly the team in the beat in the in the in the Easter Conference at least? Because they are just trucking teams night after night. Their offense looks amazing, and uh, I mean, listen, they have five former or current All Stars in their starting lineup. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think if the Celtics can keep their top six healthy, they'll win the East. The only thing I worry about with the Celtics is injury issues. I mean, Porzingis has only played sixty plus games twice in his NBA career, uh, Al Horford's 37 years old. Like that worries me mm-hmm. some, but if they can get to the end of the season with those guys and, and the top six guys in their rotation healthy, I don't see anybody in the conference beating them. But where they get into trouble is if they have to go deep into that bench. Cause they really only have like six and a half usable playoff players. And I, mm-hmm. I count Pritchard, Peyton Pritchard as a half because I haven't seen him do it in a couple of years. Um, it's really all they got. It's been, when it comes to big men, I mean, Luke Cornett's not playable. At least he hasn't shown he's playable in, in the postseason. And, you know, until they get another big man, there's still a two-big-man team um, with Horford uh, and Porzingis. But they're, when they're on with those six, they are just electric. I mean, Porzingis has been as advertised mm-hmm. as, you know, a, a floor spacer who can, you know, block shots at the rim. You know, the combination of Drew Holiday and Derek White, there's no better defensive backcourt in the league. And that's no. that's huge to have when you're going up against or probably going up against, you know, Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton in the postseason. Uh, they've just got everything when it comes to that top six. So if they can keep those guys on the floor, uh, they're the best team in the Eastern Conference by far. And, you know, they might be the best team in the NBA. I've, I've said all along, Denver is wow. the top team until somebody takes it away from them. But, uh, you know, right now the way Boston's playing and the chemistry they're playing with, uh, it's going to be really tough to bet against them. All right. Well, Chris, I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch all your work at SI. Anytime, guys. All right. Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated. You didn't want to ask him about uh, boxing? I thought you had a boxing question. Nah, we, we kept him 20 minutes. I thought we should probably all right. let him go, you know? Uh, I can talk uh, 
What was the Francis Ngannou, uh, uh, Tyson Fury rematch, rematch another time. Oh, wow. um, okay. you know, what's crazy yeah. about the Celtics five, no start. So the nuggets are six and one too, right? Like the nuggets, yeah, the yeah. nuggets have been everything oh, you expect awesome. the defending champs to be. And they have a, a point differential of plus 10 per game. The Celtics are five and zero, oh, and they are winning games by an average of 18 and a half points. Yeah. No, every time I turn on the Celtics game, they got 120 points and the game's still going. Like, it's it's unbelievable what they're doing over there. I mean, obviously, like, they brought this thing together and, you know, I mean, um, you know, like, it looked really good on paper. But I guess I just didn't fully process the idea that, like, just how much talent is around it. And I think, you honestly, you know, not, not to make a joke about Chris Mannix, but he did infamously tweet the one time, like, you know, Brad Stevens or Giannis Adenokounmpo, who do you want for the next five years? Brad Stevens, the executive, might be better than Brad Stevens, the coach. Look at the amount of talent that they've surrounded Tatum and Brown with around them, right? They brought back Al Horford when they caught that in that in that, in that rain, right? They used picks to get at Derek White, which looks like a really, really good trade, mm-hmm. and especially because he's on a long-term deal at, I think, like less than $20 million. Like, what a discount. They got Drew Holiday, which they, you know, kind of pulled out of nowhere, really, um, and, and you know, that replaces the Marcus Smart uh, thing. They get in Chris Tasperzingas as well. Like, these are all pieces that this front office is brought in that fit and that uh, that work around and that accentuate their two young stars in the middle who are finally hitting their prime. I mean, I think Tatum might still be 19, but, you know, he's a prime 19-year-old, uh, which is a sick thing to say. But, like, yeah, like, this team just makes so much sense, and the front office is continuously bought in around them. So, yeah, I mean, I hate saying kudos to Celtics <laughs> every time, but they look amazing. And there, there are only really two questions left right now, and one is what happens, you know, how does this all look when the schedule turns tougher? Because they have... You know, the Knicks are struggling. They beat the Knicks. The Heat are just fine, and they beat yeah, the Heat. Yeah. Uh, the Wizards are really, really bad, and yeah, they ran terrible. up the score on those. They beat the Pacers by, like, 50, which is... Uh, I mean, their defense is terrible. Yeah. And and that's an especially bad matchup for the Pacers. Yeah. Um, who want to get up and down the floor, but the Celtics are also really good at getting up and down the floor, and the Pacers don't have the big wings to guard what, uh, you know, the Celtics want to do. Right. So. And then the other question is, you know, do you run into teams where the fact that Sam Hauser and O'Shea Brissett are like regularly in your rotation becomes a problem? And, and I'm, I'm very, I'm fond of O'Shea. He's brought really good energy there, right. but like, you know, championship teams generally don't have two or three unproven guys in the rotation. Yeah. Um, but they also, you know, they've got time to put more chips in and add here. They've got what? three months to see if any of these guys click and look like full-time rotation pieces. Um, yeah, Delano Banton and Svi are around there as well. They- yeah, what's going on, man? <laughs> so Brad Stevens just loves trading first-round picks for really good veterans that fit in around their core and also go bargain bin shopping with the Raptors. Yeah, 905 legends, uh, O'Shea Brissett, Delano Banton, Svi yeah. Mihailuk. Well, look, I, I hope some of them click too, but I mean, I think... That's O'Shea's all- clicking. Like, I think yeah. O'Shea has okay. a spot with all that right. team in a role. Delano's probably still in that kind of developmental third point guard yeah. spot, but like O'Shea's giving them good minutes. Has O'Shea put the apostrophe in there yet? No. For the Celtic connection? No. no? All right. Terrible joke. And I'm ready twice now in three weeks. So we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening <laughs> to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. When we come back, we are going to go around the NBA with Alex Wong, who has hopefully drank a coffee during the last break. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Joining me for the last segment of the day is Blake Murphy and Alex Wong. Alex, you're going to take us around the end. Yeah, first off, just want to give a quick shout-out to Connor Lamont, 
are filling in and holding it down for us. And we have some new interns here at, at the company as well. Today is their first day. Michael Collins is sitting in All right. and helping us out. So you want to say what up to Michael? He's helping run your show. Thank you, Michael. Oh, and uh, good luck on your internship. <laughs> oh, I don't God. know what to say, man. Anyways, Sorry, we got a message Sorry. from, I'm going to read his full Twitter name, 11113333, hello, what's up, dude, Yeah, was listening to us in the first segment, and, you know, you were going through Scotty Barnes's, uh stocks mm. so far. Steals plus blocks. Yeah. yeah, steals plus blocks, and he said, Scotty's got stocks, he's got real estate, he's got it all, might as well just call him the portfolio. It's a diversified skill set. <laughs> Are we... <laughs> Are we uh, are we submitting this to Basketball Reference or not, boys? The portfolio. Mm. It's not bad. The re- the Remax would be pretty sick too. Yeah, he invented the Remax. I think we're gonna need him to get on one of those Quest Trade ads first, where Scotty Barnes is like, "Are are you not averaging twenty points and eleven rebounds with your mom's guy?" Speaking of, uh, Scotty Barnes did not win Player of the Week. What? Jason Tatum got it. Barnes oh, was okay. a nominee. No, who though. voted the, on this? Bill the, Simmons and Michael Pina and Chris Mannix. All our guests. <laughs> well, we could work on Bill, I guess. NKOC. How many members of the national media who vote is like, I mean, obviously not for this, but it's like who vote for the awards is from Boston. I've told you this many times. Can we times, do an man. investigation on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm serious. Yeah, well, I mean, you know. It's, it's, it's like this has come up before where like OGs, all defense candidacy or whatever. It's like, well, you know, a, a good defensive team might split votes across a couple guys. And it's like, yeah, yeah except the Celtics. They all get all defensive votes every time. Mm. I don't like that. Mm. I don't like that. Anyways, you know great. Who's a better defense right now? Yeah. Anyways, great chat on the uh, in-season tournament earlier with Chris Mannix. Have a few more things. Did you guys know about the average margin of victory that took place on Friday? It was 4.9 points, which was the second smallest on a single night in the last 10 seasons. The NBA official account tweeted, quote, NBA in- in-season tournament brought the intensity. Mm. Do you think there's a correlation between the average margin of victory and the fact that the Bulls uh, played on a red court? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who no, designed I, that, I mean, man? first off, I mean, it must be a little bit difficult sometimes to work in PR because you got to come up with these obscure things. Like, someone's like, oh, I got to look up average uh, margin of victory yeah. across the whole league on yeah. every given day some to intern, come up with that stat. Some intern while wearing Skims underwear on a Friday <laughs> night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, like, honestly, salute to that intern. No, I mean, I, I think it probably does have a slight effect. I mean, obviously, I think it was also just, like, good fortune or whatever. But, I mean, like, I, I did enjoy the fact that they were all close. Like, I was literally flipping from channel to channel to watch, like, mm. most of every single one of these games. Not only because I wanted to see all the courts, but, you know, I, I actually, they were all just really, really great games. Like, you know. So, yeah, and this is, you know, I think they set the divisions intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Wait, how did they choose the division? Just, Record, I mean, it's based kind on of, the records, right? They put them into different lots. Yeah. They, oh, and, and yeah. It, so they're really doing Champions League. Okay, I get it. They yeah, should have just done it. divisions. Don't you think they should have just done the divisions? There's five yeah. teams in the division. Like, Maybe they know something rivals. to get a division banner. No, I think, I think they would also, in addition to that, like you, this way, if you do it this way every year, you can do your best to assure each pool is relatively even sure. where like the Atlantic division pool this year would be mm. really difficult with mm. Boston, Philly, and then three potential 40 win teams in the Knicks, Toronto and Brooklyn. Wow. Are we the AL East? Whereas, <laughs> oh God. Um, you know, what's the division with the Grizzlies in it? That, that one is, Southwest. Yeah. yeah, that would be, 
Dallas, New Orleans, San Antonio, Houston, Memphis, yeah. like three of those teams are not really intending to make the playoffs this year, or, or if they are, it's a, it's kind of a bonus. So mm. um, that would be an easier draw. And that, that was noticeable in the game. So it was, uh, you know, they were all pretty, not evenly matched teams, but they were all close-ish matchups. Like you got Pacers, Cavs, um, Nets, Bulls, who were right around the same tier. If Shea had played, you'd say Warriors, Thunder, and, and that one ended up super close even without Shea. Uh, it was probably the best game of the night. Mm. Um, Mavericks, Nuggets, again, two teams who who fancy themselves top of the mm-hmm. top of the West. And then Grizzlies, Trailblazers in the, like, scrub bowl. Yeah, it yeah. was a scrub bowl. Congrats to Tim Chung um, and the Van. <laughs> that wasn't the, the one they Grizzlies. won. That Yo, was the one on, that man. put them to 06 Mafia. 06 come Mafia on, is one of the best names. Uh, yo, I'm, I'm so mad it's over. Yo, did you guys see uh, what's his name? Marcus Smart fell to his knees after losing the first game. Really? Of group play? Yeah. No. No, because they lost to the Portland Trailblazers. The, the, the Trailblazers have this effect where they're not actually that that bad. Yeah. But every time you lose to them, you feel horrendous. Like I felt horrendous when the Raptors lost to Portland. Yeah. There's it was always the same thing with Marcus Smart. There's yeah. always a couple of those teams every year. I think yeah. that's why it hurt too. Well, well, Dwayne Casey's early Pistons teams weren't that bad. They have Blake Griffin, but yeah. those hurt too. By the way, in that Blazers game, Shaden yeah. Sharp was awesome. Oh, yeah. He had that block at the end, too, yeah, right? He looks real good. Yeah. yeah. Shaden Sharp for OG, revisit it. Um, nah, yeah. just get him to we'll Paris. Never trade we don't OG. need to trade for him, but oh, oh, get we're him talking, to Paris. Oh, we're talking Team Canada right now. Okay. Um, we have the, minutes for him, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, well, wait till Lee Ben and uh, Oren come in tomorrow. You guys can have your Canadian content. Um Am I not Canadian? <laughs> You're Stats Murphy, bro. Nah, we're That's not Canadian. is Stats. You don't like Stats Murphy? No. Okay. All right, we're going to work on that. And we're saying no on the portfolio. A portfolio, we're not I think submitting he, that I, one. I need him to get a Quest Trade commercial, and then, yeah, he's officially a portfolio for me. Does he have a okay. Bitbuy uh, like like bit ad? You're too? talking to the Bitbuy guy right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, that's not actually Alex in the commercial. I wish. Um, the Nuggets, Blake. You had flagged this. So they initially had a three-point line painted um, that was too far, and they had to repaint during the game. So uh, this was reported uh, Friday early in the day, Grant Williams relaying that he's there, he's on the court, he's shooting around, and everything's short, and it feels off. And he said at first he thought maybe it was the color of the court and the empty arena Mm. and just like the perspective was off. But he had them check, and the three-point line was too far. Wow. So they had to repaint it day of the game. Uh, to make sure, obviously, it was, was within NBA re- uh, requirements. So this got me thinking. Mm-hmm. The Toronto Blue Jays, two summers in a row, have changed their ballpark dimensions mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. as part of, you know, more on the capitalism side to get more better seats and more suites and stuff in there. Yes. But there are also competitive reasons to have a unique ballpark. Sure. If the NBA, mm-hmm. and, and this is something, maybe this is something they look at for future in-season tournaments. I can't imagine they would actually do it. Uh, you know, it seems like Adam Silver's willing to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so the NBA comes to yeah. you guys and says for certain games, when you use these courts for the in-season tournament, you are allowed to, within some reasonable amount, yeah. change the dimensions on the on the basketball court. Okay, yeah. Mm. What are you doing with this? Uh, for the Raptors, it's easy. You just erase the three-point line altogether. Yeah. Oh. And we'd be an elite team. You understand. Your Raptors with no three-point okay. line on either side, obviously, would be amazing. All right? We yeah. would be locked down on defense, and mm-hmm. we would be going to that cup every single time, driving and kicking to a guy 15 feet out for a jumper. I think we actually got those in our range. No, I actually think that we'd be amazing without a three-point line. I like that. For the Spurs, I would remove the paint entirely. Um, so there's no three in the key. Oh, okay. uh, Wemby just gets to stand wherever he wants. Mm. All of that stuff. 
That's but one I was You know what? Guess. Actually, for the Spurs, I got a different idea. The yeah. rim is 12 feet. It's a whole <laughs> he can dunk it. <laughs> I mean, you know. I like that. Uh, one that I thought of was in the Kyle Lowry years, mm. um, there is no charge circle. He can take a charge <laughs> anywhere, yeah. any point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, if you're the Warriors, you move the three-point line Four back. Four-point line? Four-point line? Or you, yeah. I, I don't know if mm. you could introduce a new rule like that, but oh, you could okay. move the three-point line back so that yeah. right, right, only right. your guys can hit from that far. Mm. You, I, I thought, too, with the Bucks. Maybe you would just extend the above the break line because their defense, if they go back to kind of the the Budenholzer style, their Mm -hmm. defense is all about, hey, you can have above the break threes with your pick and pop bigs. We don't care about those. But also given Dame can pull up from like the logo with like no problem, maybe you move that higher. So only you're getting the the high top threes. You know what the NBA is going to do? This, mm. is my, this is my wild prediction, all right? If Adam Silver is still trying to get this new TV contract through, yeah. he's still willing to try things. You know the three-point um, contest now has that four-point ball, the starry spot on the mm. floor? I feel like they might introduce this, a four-point spot That's before the, they introduce the a, big three uh, thing, right? Uh, I love that. They yeah, have yeah, yeah. a four-point yeah, 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 circle yeah. on each side right around the hash mark? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, not, just steal that. No, not, not to drop a Wong's bomb, but I have heard the G League might be like experimenting with some power-ups. At this year's all star game, yeah, it? in terms of like, no, like, either grown to Webby height or Marquis Dowell height. What do you mean, like, like NBA like, Jam type? Like in terms of you guys talking about certain spots, yeah. might be a four pointer, might be okay, a five yeah, yeah. pointer. Because I feel like it, it makes more sense to try it out with a spot than actually draw a whole new line. First. Here's another thing I would love for the G League to try, and this is more for all star and stuff. Mm-hmm. But on an alley oop, if the pass is thrown from behind the three point line, I think it should count as three points. Even if it's just mm. for the all-star game, I would like to see more of those like wild lobs. Yeah, I've always advocated too, like if you want to extend this idea, it's like um, if you come to a game in Toronto, like the game is not determined by points scored. Um, like, you know, the last... No, no, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. So, you know, last you're, year... You're talking about wins and lessons, <laughs> so, literally. Who, who learned the most lessons? So, I know this is so, a silly segment, but damn. So last year, don't ever ask me to get silly, okay? Because it's going to get silly. So last year, I remember there was a lot of talk about the Raptors winning the possession battle, right? Mm-hmm. So when the Raptors last year, if they came, teams came here, you would put on the scoreboard just possessions. Like whoever so, won, whoever won possessions wins the game. So you're Dustin, like you're taking the time of possession stat from soccer, and that's just yeah. it. That's who yeah, won. It's, it's dealer's choice type. It's like the home team gets to pick. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's what I would go with. Wow. Okay. Or like or like which team would be great for like oh a potential assist battle. It's like a team that wins potential assists, like wins the whole game. I mean, you could yeah. just game that one. Though. <laughs> yeah, but I, I love the gaming yeah. part of it. Um, I like this. I was thinking yeah. strictly court dimensions. You're like, no, it's, WWE stipulations. It, it, it's getting a little it's out false of count anywhere. Yeah. Like, Earl, if Earl. you find a basket up in the 300 level <laughs> yeah. of Scotiabank Arena, that counts too. You got to defend any hoop inside the building. Earl Earl Hebner is one yeah. of the one of the referees. Um, I think for the Wizards too. Um, they, uh, if you're talking about dimensions, like there should only be one basket, like so there's just no defense. <laughs> like for some reason, they're only playing on one end at uh, all times. In seriousness, yeah. uh, with Nuggets, you know how like the '70s Nuggets were like the fastest paced team, and That's like right. they outran everyone. Yeah. What if you just lengthen the court if you're one of those teams? That oh, would actually like benefit that. the Raptors too, I think, where where yeah. they're so Wait, they're so fast yeah. down the floor in transition. Well, you just like can yeah. outrun teams, and the transition game becomes a, a bigger factor. Which which yeah. NBA team would you pick uh, to win if you were to play a basketball game on a football field? <laughs> and the two like field goals at the end, the two are those are the baskets. 
and you have to advance the ball. It's like first and ten. Like you got to so move football. the ball. Who would win so in yeah, a football game? Who, who, would win, who would win a basketball game on a football field? No, this is what happens when your gym teacher comes in drunk. Like, <laughs> I think I'm taking the happens. Pacers. I think what, I'm, I'm going to take this? the Pacers or something. What is this? No, in all seriousness, I actually want dunks to be worth three points. I feel like it'll actually balance out a little bit of interior play and, and like three point play. I can see that because like we're, we're like team yeah. shoot fifty three is no problem nowadays. Yeah, I'm like, but why don't you so dunk the ball? Last year was the first year that it's come back around where the average two pointer was worth more than the average three pointer. So we actually hit that. We point. we have hit that point where like obviously for a long time threes went way up. There mm-hmm. there were just inefficiencies there, and last year it crossed back where the average two was worth more because we've kind of hit the limits of what spacing can look like. Yeah, and it looks like you know league wide the the league wide three point percentage can only nudge so high. Mm. Like everyone's too long, everyone's too fast. There's only so much space. Um, so yeah, two pointers, and then because defenses are so spread out, two pointers actually became not worth more. They're worth two points, but the the field goal yeah. percentage trade off uh, twos were actually the right way. My concern with that, I think it would be very very cool, and it would make the game more exciting. Uh, I think you would get a lot of really hard fouls. That's fine with me. Yeah, and, <laughs> and a lot of that. and a lot of like favorite part of the game bad missed dunks because guys are just going to go for that. That's also fine with me. I okay. actually want to see guys go in for the dunk instead of like the usual layup. You know what I mean? Like I want to yeah. punish small guards. No more small guards. All right. All right. You, just, you saw worse. Scotty do that to Jeremy Sohan yesterday. Oh, and you're like, more of that. That should be the no, lead. What Scotty did with two-handed dunk on that guy like that, that should be worth Judge, 10. Judges scorecards for yeah, every yeah, yeah. dunk and it, you get from one to five points. Yeah. <laughs> how about how about Adam move? Silver writing all this down, by the way. He's <laughs> yeah. like, anything to sell this game to ABC. <laughs> He's just in Adam his office. Adam Silver on an episode of The Morning Show right now. Swearing skims. Corey Ellenson. Um, what about changing the shot clock to 12 seconds? Yeah. <laughs> That's too short, but I, I think that that would be, yeah, 12 would be sick and you have to get past half court in three seconds. Yeah. Oh, only, De- only. Dennis would be so valuable yeah. though with the, let the ball roll up all, yeah, the, yeah. all the way. Is that the point guard you're going with? If it's a 12 second shot clock game, which point guard are you guys rolling with? I mean, you're going to need someone to shoot from far. So I'll go with Steph. Like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess Steph is that. Steph's the answer for all of these, though. Yeah, he is, he is really a, a cheat code. I was talking, I was watching the game with Samson yesterday, and we were talking, we turned the cat, uh, the Warriors game on afterward, and we were talking about what, like, Steph Curry is not aging yet. Like, he's not coming to that point in his career, but at some point, he's not going to be able to carry a 30 point a game offensive load, right? Would you like to see him kind of go out on top where he never falls off? Or, like, I think there's a scenario where, he has like a Ray Allen twilight where mm. you you shift into, hey, I'm just like a deadly three-point specialist. I'm not handling as much. I'm not scoring 30 points a game. But basically, he becomes Seth Curry uh, for a couple of years in his career. Would you want to see that? Or do you like the star guys to kind of go out as they have been their whole career? I think for Seth, I don't mind because it seems like he's the type of player that would like willingly embrace that role. Like it wouldn't be like a struggle to ask him to do that. Um, so I think it'd be cool. Like he'd be like an ultra turbo, like Ray Allen and probably a guy who can still take over like in spurts. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted him to, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Cause he's 30, he's 35 going on 36 now. So uh, he's already doing this later than anyone would have expected yeah. given his size and his ankle issues coming into the league and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I could, like, I could see shooting is one of the last skills to age out. Like as long mm. as you're, as long as you can get open, yeah. you can stay a good shooter for, for a pretty long time. So I wonder how long he could stick around transitioning to that role. It depends on how much he loves Aisha. Okay. No, because at a certain <laughs> point, if you're running around and just getting three points a game, you might need to go home to your family. That's all I'm saying. That's he's, all. He's not going to average three points a game. Man. I mean, I mean, look, listen. I mean, I would take Steph on my on the Raptors at 45. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, yeah. Uh, 
another way to tweak the game is like um, are we you, still on this? Yeah, yeah. Right, you get to, you get to pick you get to pick who the other team has to run the offense through. So <laughs> so it's like when you play the Warriors, it's like everything has to go through Draymond. Like Draymond has to at least get Draymond I mean, has to at least get twenty shots. His usage has to hit a certain percentage. Like, I think that'd be super cool. And you know the numbers. So, like, with three minutes left in the game, <laughs> the Warriors are only up two, but they only have, like, yeah. a couple of possessions guys, left for Kavon Looney. This is I, such a dumb idea. Guys, you don't it's understand. It's very silly. You don't understand. This is literally my wheelhouse. This is the, the topic for me. I created a monster putting this in the group chat earlier. Think about <laughs> if you played the Spurs yesterday and everything had to run through Zach Collins. Bro, and like not, Wemby had to stand in the corner. Yeah, well, so I saw in the rundown here because I want to tee you up, man. Yeah, um, you had, me up. You had the Furkan Korkmaz man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> this is the new Gerald Henderson award, but yeah, I'm introducing a modern day Gerald Henderson award, which is as yeah. Alex watches other teams, he becomes yeah. fans of players uh-huh, yeah. on other teams but that he's not familiar with. Because he's the first guy this year oh, that I became yeah. a fan of. All right, all right. So yesterday it was Big Z. Uh, Big Z was, was you know, very good for, for the Spurs. Uh, you know, a brief spurt in the third quarter where he dominated. Mm. And I'm keeping it on Big Z because, like, I think Ben Golliver mentioned this too. Like, if Big Z wants to become, like, the next Udonis Haslam, like, have a 15, 20-year <laughs> career, all he has Why, to do man? all he has to do is, like, is like clothesline one guy who's a little bit too physical mm. on, on, on Wemby this year. And Wemby's going to be like, I want this guy on my team. Like, I want to keep him for, like, the next 15 years. By the way, I was watching Wemby, and I was like, first off, he's so dominant, but he's not really in your face about it. Mm. Um, so it's hard to see other people like antagonizing him or him antagonizing the people. Yeah. I haven't seen that nasty streak come out yet. It's early though. But someone's it's definitely going to try him. You know what I mean? Like someone's definitely going to try It's going to be Draymond. Him. Who do you think? Is- oh, it's going to be Draymond. It's okay. Gonna- Draymond gonna or, Dil- gonna or, or Dylan Brooks. I think it's like Ooh. the usual suspects. Yeah. I don't know because, yeah, it's tough. Because like, can you, like, obviously you have to be huge to get in his face. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't go so, like, head- if you think about the Serge Ibaka Marquise Chris highlight, right? That like, the forearm across. Plus the choke. <laughs> yeah. You can't really choke him. You got to jump Yeah, to choke like, what are, you, what are you going to yeah. do? And then, like, obviously, yeah. you're not going to, like, Ric Flair style chop out his knees. Yeah. Like, um, someone will do it. But I, I do wonder if it might take until he gets, right. like, actual playoff action yeah. for anyone to get that fired up about it. Okay, so this goes back to the, uh, you know, a variation of the stacking question from last week. Like, who's Draymond stepping on as a teammate to step to Wemby? Like, is he going to use Chris Paul oh, as a he's stool? He's going to leap off of Gary Payton the second. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. What's he gonna do? The little big man. Now, By they, the way, they, you guys watching Dylan Brooks? True shooting percentage, Dylan Brooks right now, 75%. Yeah, I have the Dylan Brooks stats right now. Yeah, he's, he's, he's currently averaging 17.8 points. Unbelievable. Good 70, 75.2% true shooting, 60% from the field, 60% from three. 93 from the free throw line. He's having a 60, 60, uh, 90 season right it's now. It's FIBA Dylan Brooks. Yo, did, yeah. did yeah. Noah just did the Noah board fix Dylan Brooks? Like we, his true shooting friends last year was forty five percent. No, the, he, this like, guy was on every get ready to learn Chinese buddy meme, and now he's you know the leader of oh, the sorry, Houston Rockets. Forty nine percent. Sorry, sorry. Forty five would be ridiculous. That yeah. might have been his playoff <laughs> true shooting percentage. Yeah, did, did we overstate uh, you know Dylan Brooks's downfall a little bit too much in the playoffs last year? I mean, you know, there was that whole Grizzlies report from Shams that was like under no circumstances will he come back. Well, yeah, which is just like dirty. It's a dirty way. Like even yeah. if you were like to leak that stuff and try to kill his market like that was unnecessary. Especially, I still maintain that 
he probably was a little extra loud trying to keep the focus on something other than jaw mm. when he came back last year like he wouldn't i don't think he would come out and say that but yeah i mean i think the playoff stuff shouldn't have soured you on dylan brooks as a player but like you're not allowed to play that role mm. now that loudly because you you skipped out on you know accountability for it that's all yeah and um now switching back to the in-season tournament or is this part of the in-season tournament so the heat um, there was a screenshot of yeah, the court. Yeah, the court. That's in-season tournament. Okay, so they're in-season tournament. In the paint, there's a wording that says hardworking, best conditioned, most professional, unselfish, toughest, meanest, nastiest team in the NBA. Mm. This is basically like the bad boy Pistons in the 80s, except they just clothesline people. They didn't put words in the paint. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Has heat culture gone too far, guys? This is a CV culture. Mm. This is a LinkedIn. This is LinkedIn this is LinkedIn culture, culture right here. Yeah. This is what these are all good things you would put on your LinkedIn account. Mm. You know, maybe not nastiest team, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what job you're going for, but otherwise, yeah, hardest working, best condition, most professional, unselfish, you know, team player. Like, damn, like this is, yeah, this is what you would find on LinkedIn. So it's, I mean, it's obviously very corny, but. Yeah. Like, this is what the Apologies the to are, Amy you know? Bird. I know, I know, you know, you're a big Heat supporter, no, okay. and sometimes they, they you listen. To, they got to Amy. It's what it is. Yeah. I feel the same way about this that I, I felt about, you know, Kevin Durant, like, opening the door to reporters while he's the only one in the gym, and, like, they wasn't with me in the gym kind of stuff. <laughs> mm. It's like, you know, it's one thing to work hard, but, like, don't you don't need to tell everyone about it, right? Like, yeah. No one else is putting live, laugh, love messages in their in their paint. I right. don't just just put it on the scoreboard for when you walk into practice. Just, no, no comment. Let no the comment. Fact, let the fact that you made it to the finals yeah, last yeah, yeah, year yeah. strictly on oh, heat yeah. culture speak for itself. Yeah. Like it's uh So we're, it's know. a thumbs down from all of us. Yeah, I don't like it. Okay, back to the wacky ideas. Um, also, I the think... formatting of the font was just like, yeah, it's yeah. the same as how every team now has t-shirts that's just Toronto Raptors yeah, basketball, right. and it's like a plain font. It's not yeah. aligned. It's all left aligned. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just, weird. This is how I write my IG captions, so <laughs> my <laughs> you IG don't write those. I, I think it's cool if someone dunks on, like, you know, Jaime Jaquez and lands on, like, Unselfish. nastiest team <laughs> in the NBA. Um, back right. to wacky ideas. How about for each game... In the NBA, uh, the team has to uh, have one beat writer in the starting lineup. Yeah. Oh, so brother, like, it's like Kuzma, Kuzma on the break to Prada. <laughs> Bang. Yeah, that's a tough one. Oh yeah, give God. me, give me, give me the one nah, beat writer. On right give me now, the man. one beat writer you want on on a on a roster. Right nah, now. I want Keith Pompey to throw a lob to Paul oh Embiid. Keith Pompey. Pompey on on Van, Van, Van Vliet. He's like, you know what's not tough. <laughs> Oh, Joel don't, Embiid. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways. Like, do you have one? Do you have one? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to think of who, who would be on the Raptors beat. Like, oh. It's like Shay to Royce Young. Yeah. He's still there. No, he works no. for the team now. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, him and uh, I think yeah. Lang Whitaker went on the team okay. side as well. Or it's like Shade and Sharp, Sean Hyken backcourt. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Defensively, man. probably an upgrade from what yeah. Portland has. Somehow the whole Celtics bench is just... Award voter? Well, the Celtics bench is already just ringer staff, so it'll just be official that it's just all ringer staff. Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry to the ringer. Anyways. Who would it be on the Raptors beat? Would it be Savannah? Uh, It's got to be Doug Smith, man. Why does oh, I, I, thought we were I thought we were supposed to pick the best player to do it. Just, you're no, just, the opposing team gets oh, to pick. Oh, okay. So oh, the opposing team opposing team gets to pick. It's so. be Doug, man. He gets the first question. He, yeah. He gets that OG so Doug He gets the first shot in the offense. How would you get Doug Smith a shot in the offense? We have 10 seconds left. That's the bet uh, reverse lock of the week. Um, anyways, yeah. 
Raptors only play one game uh, during the weekdays. So what are we going to talk about this week, man? Producer? We got Dennis Schroeder joining us tomorrow. Ooh. Uh, You know, Lee Van Orn will be coming in. Mark Stein, our NBA insider on Wednesday. Tim Cato will help us tee up the Mavericks. I know know, uh, Blake is cooking up some 905 stuff Mm -hmm. on Thursday. Yeah, they have an open practice tonight in Scarborough, by the way. Yeah, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Muslim Women's Basketball League All-Star Game on Friday as well. That'll be really fun. Uh, you left out the Slob Wizard segment, which uh, I'm very much looking forward to making There's a whole no segment. good way to transition to previewing know. a Slob Wizard segment, so <laughs> well, just stay, stay tuned. tuned. All good. Stay tuned. Goodbye, everybody. For sideline out of bad plays. All right, we're going to uh, wrap here. I've been your host, Will. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe and please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Savannah Hamilton, Chris Mannix, producer and co-host Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, our board producer Con- Connor Lamont, Jennifer Olnick, David says, Jeremy Manitai, help me behind the scenes. We'll be back tomorrow.